I'm Heidi Zuckerman. I've spent my life connecting people to art to make their lives better. This podcast talks about art in contemporary culture and why we should care. Each episode is an impactful conversation with people I find interesting and think you will too about their life, values, and always about why they think art matters. This is Conversations About Art. Hey everyone, this podcast is airing the day following Memorial Day, and I think it's important to remember how we got to where we are and whose shoulders we are standing on, and I want to just take a minute to acknowledge the incredible service and the ultimate sacrifice that so many have made for our country. These podcasts are an opportunity to talk about things that I believe matter with people who I find really interesting. And I was excited to get to check in with Jeannie Greenberg-Royerton and discuss some of our shared values and some of our shared interests. And I know you're going to find the conversation really interesting. We'll be there in just a second. I don't know about you, but I get most of my things done in the spaces between doing everything else. And I gravitate towards the things I can handle from an app on my phone. Kelly Klee Private Client Insurance believes that people with more to lose need better protection for what they cherish. I have insured not only my cars and homes with them, but also my personal art collection. They have an incredibly well-designed app that's not only aesthetic, but the user interface is superb. I can see each work in my collection and its currently insured value, as well as seamlessly and easily, literally from my phone, add new things as they're acquired. Insurance to me sounds like kind of a boring thing to talk about, but particularly in these uncertain times, I sleep way better at night knowing that the things I love are protected. So check out their website, kellyclee.com backslash Heidi. That's K-E-L-L-Y klee.com backslash Heidi and they will make a $50 donation to Artadia, an art charity I've recommended for each qualified referral. These details are included in the show notes. Is there a piece of jewelry you would like to create? I'm excited to tell you about Best & Co, which offers a smarter way to acquire luxury jewelry. I wanted to create signet rings for each member of my family. Best & Co worked with me to create a custom design and fabricate the rings. We all love them. The rings are a daily and physical reminder of our connection, even when we're not together. Whether you want to reuse sentimental stones from a family heirloom or create a piece that you've been dreaming about, Best & Co can help you create it, and their effective and efficient business model allows them to provide significant savings to their clients. Clients regularly save as much as 30% and frequently more when compared with purchasing comparable high-quality pieces from traditional luxury jewelry retailers. So check out their website, www.bestincoaspen.com and use discount code HEIDI2020 to receive 5% off of any item on Best & Co's website. I was just looking at it today and honestly, there are a ton of things that I would like to use that discount code for. Also, if you're interested in creating a custom piece, you can email 
custom at bestandcoaspen.com. That's B-E-S-T-A-N-D-C-O-A-S-P-E-N.com. And mention that you heard about Best & Co. on my podcast to receive the special discount. Jeannie greenberg Royerton is a gallerist, art advisor, and independent curator. A fierce activist, she is committed to feminist and progressive ideas and a belief in art's power to bring about social change. greenberg Royerton founded her first gallery space in 2002, later adding venues on the Bowery in 2007 and 2010. Known for breaking hierarchies between art and design, In 2017, she founded Salon 94 Design. She's championed artists such as Huma Baba, Judy Chicago, Katie Grannon, David Hammonds, Lyle Ashton Harris, and Betty Woodman, among many others. She and I discussed a shared love of architecture, growing up in a house of art, being a practicing feminist, hiding in the bathroom with Andy Warhol, the goal and impact of See Better, the relationship of art and justice, how we want storytellers now, loving looking at art, being elegant in transitions, exhibition making, being a business partner to artists, how she chooses artists, learning from her father, and how art needs a lot of help. Hey, Jeannie, how's everything going today? It's going well. Thank you. Right right before a holiday weekend, I'm thrilled. So nice. Yeah. How As are you? I was so good. So good. I just went and um, I went to a place called Gardenia, California to look at the skin, the terracotta tile for the new Orange County Museum of Art. And wow. it's so exciting. Wow. To be in a building project and to be building a, a second museum and and yeah. you and I share a love of architecture and design and building and yep. as I was thinking about all the things I wanted to talk with you about today one of them and it's not necessarily where I thought we would start but I think maybe we will start there today is mm-hmm. a question for you about maybe where your interest in architecture began and yeah. what you love about working with architects on big projects? So perhaps it began in St. Louis, which is uh, a city filled with um, both old and new architecture in that uh, during the World's Fair in uh, 1904 uh, or beginning beginning right before that, um, many architects came to St. Louis uh, to build the World's Fair and around it neighborhoods. So, uh, so the architecture in St. Louis is kind of fascinating because you'll be in one home, which is Jeffersonian, and right next door will be a, a, a Gothic home, and right next door to that will be a stone home. So this kind of sense of architecture always interested me. And then you layer on top of that, the fact that uh, Saarinen built the arch uh, where I spent a lot of time um, growing up. Uh, we just had, we had tremendous architecture. So 
early on an interest. And then uh, I've always been interested in spaces and uh, how we move through them and how we experience art in them. So kind of been a student of that all my life, just because that's what I'm devoted to. You and I share being not the first generation of our families that are interested in art growing Mm -hmm. up around art with, for me, it was a grandmother. My parents weren't interested for you was your father and your mother. Can you talk a little bit about sort of your origin story with art and, and your parents' place in that? My father is an art dealer, uh, Ronald Greenberg of the Greenberg Gallery in St. Louis, and my mother writes about art. Uh, the, the, their story uh, started much earlier, um, but my father became an art dealer in 1974 and changed our, our lives, really. He uh, he changed our home uh, in order to house the art. He uh, stopped working in a development business and began uh, making shows, which meant that artists would make pilgrimages to St. Louis to see their shows and uh, live with us during that time. So, so my whole world as a young person was was in in art and surrounded by it and surrounded by artists as well. So everywhere, one from Andy Warhol to Roy Lichtenstein, uh, Richard Serra, Donald Judd, uh, Betty Woodman and, and onwards. Do you have iconic now iconic for you stories about any of those interactions, things that became kind of defining moments for you? Yes, there were a few defining moments uh, for different reasons. So, for example, uh, as a woman and as a feminist, uh, a practicing feminist, uh, I remember Peter Beard staying at our house. He often came to St. Louis because he did a benefit at the St. Louis Zoo and uh, almost literally almost every year. And Peter, once brought his girlfriend who walked around the house naked all day long. And he would always call her his moving sculpture. And um, and it took me a while to unpack what that meant. And so that's kind of an early memory of this beautiful young woman um, walking around the house naked <laughs> and how he perceived of her. Um, so perhaps, uh, another early memory is, um, standing side by side, uh, Andy Warhol as a little girl while he hid in my parents' guest bathroom, uh, that my father had wallpapered with his Mao wallpaper while they were having a reception for him. And everybody in St. Louis wanted him to sign their Campbell soup cans. And so we hid in the bathroom and he uh, had a pencil and paper and he drew me uh, um, a banana. And of course it took me years to know that it was um, the banana from the Velvet Underground. So that was also a great early memory. I love that. 
<laughs> did you two very different have ones in art collection? <laughs> yeah. and, and very very illustrative, right? And you are amazing at telling stories. And, and I think that's part of, of being a great art dealer and an advocate for artists as well mm-hmm. as being able to tell the stories of, of the artists and the objects and and the why and the how and the what. Mm-hmm. So that as you were describing both of those experiences, and I have had the great privilege of not just being in your parents' home in St. Louis, but staying there multiple times. And I could think about that woman who, I don't know who she is, but like I could imagine her walking through the spaces and I could imagine a, a young you being there and, and experiencing that too and, and thinking about Andy Warhol in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I love also the idea of, of not knowing what something is until a later point and the Velvet Underground reference and and I yeah. often refer to something like that as the Moby Dick experience, yes. where before I read Moby Dick, there were all of these nuances and literary references that right. that I'm sure I encountered you know, hundreds of times, yep, yeah. but didn't know what they were until I read Moby Dick. And then I was like, oh, I know what an albatross is now <laughs> yeah. and what that means. But Well, you, you know, I had one of those happen uh, yesterday. In Mm -hmm. fact, um, I have often used the term see better, you know, when I'm when I'm uh, talking about art with people or thinking, thinking about art. And in Coco's graduation or commencement speech, uh, the headmistress said um, that she would she wanted to quote Kent from uh, King Lear. You know, he was the, the faithful protector and. Uh, at one moment when uh, he wants King Lear to make better choices, uh, he says, see better, learn to see better, Lear. And I, I I actually didn't know that reference. So that was wonderful. That yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. I love the idea that if we could see better, we can make better choices. Because there are so many things that go into how we make choices. Yeah. And this idea that the visual can be impactful on decisions that extend far beyond the visual. Oh, absolutely. Art um, allows us to affect change. I mean, look, we, we see it right now uh, in, in, in our practices in justice and in Black Lives Matter and all of these things, art has been the you know part of that engine, and uh, yes, it it allows us to kind of behave better. Someone asked me today how I would characterize the art that's been made in the last year and mm-hmm. what the impact of the efforts towards social justice have been over the last year, how they how they've manifest visually and. I didn't really have an answer for that yet. Do you have one? Yeah, I don't. I I think it's going to take us a while. Um, but there are certain there are certain uh, tendencies in art that we're seeing, and um, I don't know this this idea of uh, kind of turning art into justice. Uh, I see it more in the actions of art 
artists as well. Um, so it's not just in the content of the work, but mm-hmm. it's how the work is being used. Um, so we have seen, uh, we've seen magazines using artists' images on the cover. We, uh, you know, in 10 days, Julie Moretu is, is auctioning off a very powerful painting mm-hmm. um, to, uh, to raise money for the, um, the, the, the very terrible system of uh, mass incarceration. Um, so I, I almost think that we're using it. Um, it's it's not a literal uh, use uh, or a, not a literal practice of the artist, but rather how it's being used by our culture. It's a good answer. You know, I also said there's kind of a continuum of of art. I mean, you can be in an artist studio and, and might have that insight, but in terms of the life cycle between creation and presentation it's often 12 to 18 months through galleries or museums and so it's not really clear exactly what's happening but I I like your reference both to Julie's generosity and I was literally talking about that about an hour ago and Mm -hmm. how you know Aggie Gunn's decision to sell a substantial work from her collection to create this fund uh, Mm -hmm. mirrors them and encourages you know artists to make donations of also very significant works of art to continue that kind of effort and using the power of art, acknowledging the power of the market, right? And mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the financial value of some of these objects to do good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very powerful. I do think that if we look back, we'll find um, that there has been a tendency towards figuration, perhaps because we do uh, we're, we do want storytellers right now and somehow, um, portraiture and figuration, uh, will tell, tell stories. I mean, just simply put. And, um, so I'm seeing a lot more of that in terms of uh, actual physical tendency. Yeah, that's interesting. One of the ideas that was underscored and amplified this year was this idea of being seen and Mm -hmm. and who can see who yes and being represented and how people are represented and I think that that connection to figuration is is exactly what you're referencing and I hadn't made that connection but I think that's a very strong and relevant observation well um yeah so when you refer to yourself as a a practicing feminist. Can you mm-hmm. define that and, and why that language matters to you? It matters because we have to pay attention. And if you're not um, actively practicing something, then uh, then things can slip by. And so we, you know, right now, for instance, you know, I know that if I'm actively uh, thinking about being a feminist, that I will always be incredibly open to looking at uh, artists by by females, or that I will, when I'm hiring uh, in in our gallery or in our, you know, in my business, 
um, I'm paying special attention to um, to all all kinds of different uh, communities in terms of uh, who whose whose voices will be part of our small ecosystem and um, how to, as you said, widen that that um, that voice or widen that embrace, as it were. Yeah, I think it's really important to bring that kind of attention and awareness to mm-hmm. whatever matters yeah. to us so what, as individuals. Exactly. So being a feminist matters um, to me, and it's been a and a it's been a big part of my life. Yeah. Thank you. I've been thinking about a life practice of asking myself what I would love. Mm -hmm. And I am sort of specific about it. Not like who do I love or, you know, Mm -hmm. what do I love, you know, but what would I love? And I'd love to ask you that question. You know, what would you love? So for example, uh, what, what is one example so that I understand the question? I mean, it's, I guess, kind of a two-part question, right? Like, so what are some things that you do love? Mm -hmm. And being here now and thinking about moving forward, like what, like, what would you love? What would you love to have happen? What would you love to see? What would feel like an expression of, of love to you? Hmm. While you're thinking about that, sometimes I'll say to myself, on a particularly busy day or, you know, where I have more meetings that I would hope to have or whatnot, I might stop and say to myself, like, what would I love? I'm like, you know what? I would love a second matcha latte today, (laughs) you know, or I would love to put down my phone and walk around the block, you know, that's, that's a great way. That's a kind of great self care. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very, I, I, I like the, the kind of, um, call and response of that questioning. Um, I think that, that, I, that the way I, I question myself does not necessarily have, have that. So that maybe that's something I need to implement, or I would like to implement what I love. I love to look at art. Um, Mm -hmm. daily, actually, Mm -hmm. um, I wake up in the morning and have choices in terms of, you know, I have a, um, a yoga practice and sometimes before I start, um, as it is tradition that you set an intention. And so sometimes I, I want to say, um, I'll strive to kind of be elegant in my transitions today. And um, that's what I'll, I'll, I'll kind of try to do in my practice. And um, other times I will, I will kind of say, I don't want to push myself or I, I, I want to avoid pain or whatever it is. So yes, I, I, I like your question a lot. Um, I'm not sure if I can answer it right away or right now, but I would love a matcha latte. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, pretty much any time, right? Any t- anytime, anytime. <laughs> Absolutely. I have to limit you myself. Know. I don't. Yes, exactly. And no sweetener. <laughs> I don't allow myself with double matcha day all the time. It's, it's yeah. a special, special occasion. Yeah. I actually, I will say 
right before this, um, I noticed it's about to start raining here. And so I went out into the yard and, um, and cut some peonies because they're mm. so, so beautiful. And um, that was something that would normally not be in my, my day. So that was, I think, something that I love doing. Yeah. What color are they? They're pink and yellow. I love peonies. That is probably my favorite flower. Yeah, it's just the right moment. The white ones are not blooming yet. It's interesting to think about the idea of being elegant in your transitions. And that, of course, was a specific reference to a yoga practice. But we Mm -hmm. go through all sorts of transitions in our day, you know, moving Mm -hmm. from you and I have many things in common, moving from Mm -hmm. being a mom, right, Mm -hmm. um, to moments of being a leader, to supervising a staff, to communicating with artists, to Mm -hmm. being a good partner, all of these things. And the idea of being elegant in transitioning between these different selves, I think Mm -hmm. is, is a really inspired. Yeah. It's something, it's something that can carry throughout the day. And if you start it Physically, um, it's it's very helpful. It's um, you know if you think about it, we uh, we experience so many of our emotions physically and quite quickly. And transitions are kind of the same thing. They're they're normally very very quick uh, from one thing to another, getting from one thing to another. And so, if you're more conscious of those moments, um, it 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 can change your day. Yeah, it certainly can. Yeah. Tell our listeners about your gallery and about your business. <laughs> I run, uh, I'm the founder of Salon 94 and Salon 94 Design. Uh, I think of myself as an exhibition maker and um, somebody who is the, um, the kind of business partner of artists, um, kind of, you know, what I do is I think about how I can be more valuable to artists. So one way is, uh, one of the principal ways is to have built, um, a space to show their work. When people ask me the question that they most want to ask, if they have the kind of confidence to, it's, it's how I choose the artists that I work Mm -hmm. with. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to ask that same question of you. How do you choose? What are you looking for? Well, I'm drawn to such a variety of voices and practices that it's not um, it's it's not absolutely a pattern in terms of how I choose artists, but um, because they come, you know, artists come to me in all different ways but i'm i'm particularly interested in artists uh whose whose practices i think i can help and who have moved me so um i'm also interested in practices that have been kind of a little bit on the outside um because i know how to give a forum and put them on the inside or a platform that will uh, grow, grow 
a bigger audience. So I'm I'm interested, yes, in in artists that have not yet entered into that terrain or need help entering into it in terms of choosing. And now with this new building, I'm thinking completely differently. So the building, the rooms are actually defining me uh, to, to reimagine how I choose artists and how I make exhibitions. It's actually requiring um, a different muscle, which I'm excited about. You know, I often say that there are different types of curators or different skills that go into exhibition making. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that people, I don't know if you can actually be taught it or not, but it's people who understand the placement of objects in space. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, and it's the difference between a book and a show. And it's Mm -hmm. a difference between like a fine or a good or a great or an extraordinary exhibition. I do think people have natural eyes, just like an artist has a natural uh, wrist or a, um, a, a gift of making things. Um, and you can learn, you know, you can practice it through time and you can learn it. But there are there are people who just have a special gift at um, placement. And it's it's like a muscle. And, you know, and you, of course, you have one of those um, special eyes or, or abilities to place things and uh, create conversations. And you, you probably can say, you know, whether it's gotten better and better over time or just more complex um, over time. I'm so interested to hear that from you. It's very nice of you to say. I would say that you also uh, have that ability. And answer your question in a second because this is a conversation (laughs) what I wanted to say about your ability is about your keen instincts not just about how to put objects in space but how to combine them and Mm -hmm. you have obviously like a a long history of of exposure to art incredible Mm -hmm. knowledge about art and you also have phenomenal taste and you know, taste is is one of those things where sometimes people don't talk about it because mm-hmm. it seems unknowable or or esoteric or unteachable, right? But you have taste like, I mean, no one else I know. I mean, it's something <laughs> I really admire about you. <laughs> and, um, and it exists in a variety of different spaces. So from the art space to the domestic space to like your physical space of what you choose to wear both uh-huh. in terms of fashion and jewelry. And for me, I mean, for sure, I have developed, you know, my abilities over time as well. And I can remember even as a kid being very specific about where things went. And I have like a kind of a defining moment, even in college where I had, I lived with three of my friends um, in an apartment off campus in West Philadelphia. And my room was always really pristine. And mm-hmm. one of my college roommates, who's a you know fashion designer now, you know, she was messier. And she would kind of not make fun of me, but you know, try and get me to loosen up a little bit. And I remember one time she came into my room and you know, she said, Okay, sit there. And she went and she moved everything in my room just a little bit, like the chair, she changed the angle of, she changed mm-hmm. a few things. Oh, like, that's on my so dresser. mean of her. Oh, I my God. Know. So mean. <laughs> and then she sat down next to me on the bed and she's like, Okay, let's see how long you can sit here. 
And I mean, it just wasn't very long. I, I just couldn't do it. There's so, no way I, uh, <laughs> I couldn't do it. And just telling that story makes me uncomfortable, right? <laughs> Literally, physically uncomfortable. I, I, my, it used to uh, really annoy my mother because, um, you know, I would, I could walk into a space and start readjusting it, or walk into a space and tell her that I was uncomfortable and needed to leave. Um, I was, I, I've actually become better at it over time, but, um, but I, I am somebody who is constantly, uh, adjusting spaces and, um, you know, books, everything, everything, it doesn't matter what it is. So I love to play with objects and art in space. Um, and then I love to, you know, uh, do a flower arrangement. So it's, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm constantly, um, adjusting, adjusting objects to the way I think, um, or my eyes tell me, uh, looks right. And then of course, everybody in our operations, uh, laughs because I can tell when something's a millimeter off or not Mm -hmm. straight or that they've done a measurement wrong or, you know, and, you know, my poor contractor as well. So <laughs> I think it's, um, <laughs> it's definitely, uh, um, it, it, it is probably something early on that was problematic and um, sounded a little bit uh, compulsive, but over time I've trained myself like, like any muscle um, and honed it and have been able to make a career out of it, which is kind of incredible. I think about that too. I mean, we're obviously kindred spirits in this and, and many things, but yeah. And I think it's kind of an important story to tell because I also, it bugged my mom, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, why, why does it have to be this way? Uh, and, but it, it just did. And it just does. And yeah. it's yeah. something that, yeah, you can make a career yeah. out of without knowing as a kid that that's, that that's what it is and that, that it's actually good instead of something not good. Yeah. Well, I was very lucky as well because I had my father um, who, who was constantly training me. So didn't matter if we were at um, a school art show or at the St. Louis art museum, he would always ask in every single room or, or per wall, you know, which, which one would you take home? Uh, which one would, you know, at, as I got older, he would add on, which one would you sell and which one would you keep? Um, so so that kind of training for somebody uh, who clearly, you know, at a young age was um, was affected by by objects in space and, um, and affected visually uh, and physically at the same time that, um, that I was, I was really lucky that, uh, that he did that with me. That's super fascinating. And I love your dad and he has his own incredible stories. And I was just thinking about what that would have been like to not just ask, you know, which one would you take home? Because that's fun. Right. Mm -hmm. And the question to go beyond that, you know, which one would you sell and which one would you keep? And, you know, how do you make those distinctions? Right. So that's, Mm -hmm. that takes something from being about 
experience and taste to also being about value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, and certainly, you know, as, as an art dealer, um, my, my father taught me how to read a label in a different way at a museum then um, most people will go through a museum. You know, I am constantly looking at uh, who uh, who gave the work, um, what year did it enter the museum's collection? That makes you know that often tells you a lot about um, yeah. about a community. And um, and he was also somebody who always felt that art needed a lot of help, and that we help. Uh, we help the art by um, by installing it and hanging it in a certain type of environment, and um, so yeah, he. Uh, I definitely had great training. Say more about that. Are there are there kind of tricks that you use? I mean, like I, for example, have like a standard hanging height or space between what, an object and a label. It, what is yours? Fifty eight, sixty, sixty two. Mine is 56, 58, 60. Um, you know why? So- I, I knew yours was, was, <laughs> was, was lower than mine because you're, you're shorter than I am. I am. I am. <laughs> you're shorter. So-, so yours is 56, 58. So my comfort zone is actually, uh, I think in heels, especially is, uh, which I don't wear anymore, but is between 60 and 62 inch, um, uh, on the wall centered on the wall. So everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, and, and it's, yes, that's a great, great trick. Um, so in the museum, I always do 60 domestically. Mm -hmm. I either do 56 or 58. Yeah. And I love to think about when I'm doing that, whether I want the painting to be a little bit haughty or I want it to Mm -hmm. be kind of at, um, at our eye level. And Mm -hmm. so so it's it also depends on the show that I'm hanging it, but I do feel as though there's a natural place um, mm-hmm. that that a paint a sweet spot, as it were, that that a um, a painting or an object always has. And um, so so actually, I don't have a trick because I see things very clearly in my head. So, for example, we just installed. Uh, about a few weeks ago, the Magdalene Odundu exhibition. And um, I hadn't seen any of the works uh, before I made the pedestals and the layout of the exhibition. And the only thing I didn't know was whether I was going to put one of the vessels in a plexi box or not. Mm -hmm. So I made one plexi box and I made one shelf. This is the one piece that's cantilever on the wall. And um, so when the works came out of the boxes, um, I almost knew exactly where everything would go in the room and I hadn't seen the show yet. Um, and it was it's a very odd thing to experience, but at this point, um, I, I do see things in a certain way. And then I play it around in my mind. I always kind of you know, let's say I'm hanging a painting show. Oh, what would it look like salon style? What would it look like um, all wrapped in a row? What would it look like, you know, in a graph? You know, 
what would it look like if it's um, a group of works that have um, that have coordinating colors, kind of in um, in an ombre of 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 rainbow? Or what would it be if you did the exact opposite, hot and cold? Or I don't know. I'm so I, I'm constantly playing out in my mind um, different kind of rhythms of the way an art uh, 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 exhibition might look. One of the things that I feel like you were really on the front end of was the, and is the combination of design and Mm -hmm. what had previously been thought of as design and fine art and the integration of furniture and let's call them Mm -hmm. functional objects with traditional fine art. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you talk a little bit about your, how your interest in that evolved and, and also, I mean, you work with sort of the whole artist and thinking about like fashion designers like Rick Owens, who, you know, you've shown his furniture and I'm just kind of interested in your interest there. Hmm. I think that since I, my whole, you know, my day is spent um, thinking about art Uh I began to be interested in um, in that question: what What is art? Is you know, can can art be found in a pot? Can art be found in a functional object? Um, certainly, when you go through the you know any encyclopedic museum, um, you are being told uh, that that yes. There's um, there are these different divisions in art. There's the decorative arts department. There's you know or the, the Chinese art you walk through or the Egyptian room, um, and in general because it's housed under this museum that um, that these are naturally all um, art objects, but somehow we don't believe it, and um, you know you don't believe that when you walk through um, a period room, that that is the same kind of experience that, that you're having while looking at, um, you know, walking through through the um, Alice Neal show, for example. So um, you put, there's different primacies that you put or different, you, you privilege one thing over the other. And I'm actually interested in, um, in kind of knocking down a, a, a few of those hierarchies or at least blending them a bit more. And I also truly believe that, um, that a lot of radical practices have happened in other, um, in other art forms. So I guess it's all, it, it's all interesting to me. I love your use of the word radical mm-hmm. and I've been thinking about that word and using it recently also. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, I sit on the board of, of a company whose mission is to make art radically more accessible to the next generation. And mm-hmm. that word is chosen with complete knowledge of how radicality has expressed itself in art over time and, and what is mm-hmm. radical and what's radical at different times or Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the Orange County Museum of Art, they had the audacious years, you know, and it was yeah, um, founded, yeah, by, you know, by a, women. a bunch of women. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, somehow 
underscoring the idea of radicality and, and the audacious and nodding to feminism and just seeing things differently, right? And, mm-hmm. and allowing space for things that maybe other people haven't yet considered as important. And, and that's one of the things that you talked about as a skill that you bring to the artists that you collaborate with is mm-hmm. broadening the space for their work. Mm-hmm. and expanding the interest in it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh that's that's kind of my my job to them how I how I might be more valuable um to them in fact is by doing that. And I think there's there's always a bit of um kind of subversive elevation as it were when uh when you're when you're creating exhibitions and you want there to be that you you want each of these exhibitions to somehow be the seminal one for the for the artist and so as a result you have to think about um being radical or making radical moves or um or somehow breaking a rule uh with it because if you don't subvert then um it's just going to be you know, it, it's it's just going to be every day, and that's really not our jobs. Talk about this incredible building project that you've been doing, and you mm-hmm. made reference to having a, a different kind of framework, like physical framework yeah. within which yeah. to place objects, and and the yeah. growth opportunity there. Mm-hmm. If you would describe the project and and um, and, sure. and what it is, that would be great. So. I, uh, about 22 months ago, bought the former Academy of Architecture and Design, uh, which sits, what the middle building, which uh, sits across the street from the Guggenheim. And it is a 14,000 foot uh, building that was built by an architect named Abdin Kadman, who many of uh, your readers might, uh, listeners might know because he wrote a book with Edith Wharton on um, on design and architecture. And this building was originally built uh, b- between 1912 and 1914 uh, by a man named Huntington and his sculptor wife, Anna Hyatt Huntington, to be their space for uh, looking at art and for showing art and as well for her studio. So it had a special history and um, part of my process was to peel back and find their their history, uh, especially Anna Hyatt's uh, uh, history and how she used the building and um, and create something kind of that nodded to her past or their past and uh, to the architecture that uh, that Ogden uh, created there or built there. And then also to think of it as um, a very futuristic space. So that is, so in my mind, um, when I talk about uh, the spaces being elevated, I think about how do I create spaces out of um, out of this building that wouldn't be everyday spaces that don't remind you um, of uh, domestic brownstone, but rather 
uh, a space that you you entered, you know, that you visited in, you know, in Europe or in um, a museum or any any kind of other others kind of space. And so this building allowed me to do it. So what kind of sculpture did she make? Um, she, if you look her up, she made, um, she was a figurative uh, sculptor, very Beaux-Arts. Uh, and she made uh, the, the, the lions, the guardian lions at the Hispanic Society, for example. She did a lot of animals. Uh, she, in her own right, was a, uh, a female sculptor who um, had a full career and, you know, a, had, um, you know, made, actually made money at making her art and had huge commissions and uh, kind of her work is peppered all over New York and, and elsewhere too. There are um, gardens that I think in North Carolina, there's a great garden that, um, that she did all of the commission sculptures for. The idea of an artist, a female artist making money on her work in mm -hmm. the first decade of, of the yeah. 20th century. It's super inspiring to me. And do you know how common that was or not? It's, it's not something that I know about, but now I, you saying yeah. that has made me curious. Yeah, I, I don't know how common it was. And she must have been very, very special. Oh, the garden is Brook, um, Brook Green Garden. Mm -hmm. uh, but she... Um, yeah. In fact, she was not Huntington's first wife. Uh, I I suspect huh. what happened was is that he fell in love with her and divorced his first wife and um, married her. And so, um, and she she lived a long time. And and you know, I I'm assuming she was rare. That's so great. Yeah. Which one of the spaces in the building is is your favorite? I, I was there a few <laughs> weeks ago and, and walked it with you. And I mean, they're so inspiring. They're so different. And it I know it's kind on, of a hard thing to choose. It's very hard. But, but, you know, it also depends on what time of day it is. Uh, mm. Around uh, between 4 and 6.30, depending on... Um, on the time of year, the there's a room on the third floor that has this incredible light that moves through it. And then um, the stone room is amazing. But the room that I feel like I actually sculpted is the, on the second floor, the, um, the big white room with curved ceiling. So I love that room. Uh, the, the, there's a wood paneled room that I still haven't completed. And that room I plan to actually work in with a, with, um, with a partner and have a desk. And, and um, so I'm hoping that that's going to be my favorite room. <laughs> I want to ask you about some of your dreams. And I feel like this project is probably part of that. Mm -hmm, but in addition, in addition to that, I mean, maybe it's a question about how you dream of using this space or what kind of things do you dream about now? 
Oh my gosh. I, I dream about some of the things that I, I've probably been dreaming about for a long time. I dream of, uh, of doing a David Hammond show. I dream mostly about, I think, making <laughs> exhibitions. Um, and I now am dreaming about seeing, you know, now that I have this show up of, of Huma, about seeing um, a show of hers with with other artists. I all of a sudden see group shows where um, I hadn't seen her, you know, I hadn't I hadn't really thought about putting Huma's work amongst other artists before and build actually building an exhibition. Um, she is somebody who's had a long dialogue, for example, with Julie Moretu or Joe Bradley, um, but also uh, a dialogue with Picasso and Giacometti and um, and and uh, Kundarian Buddhist figure. So what mm. happens when I dream um, a different kind of exhibition making with um, with those works that are in the gallery now? So yeah, that's that's you know that that's mm. kind of how I dream. And why do you think art matters? Uh, I suppose it helps us see better. <laughs> um, there's, you know, so many reasons. So, you know, if uh, so many reasons why it matters. Um, right now, it matters. Um, by it matters because it's a lot. It's helping to affect change. Um, it matters because it helps us communicate. It helps us tell stories. It, helps us tell history um, and it helps us tell our history. Uh, so it matters for all kinds of reasons. Um, and that, 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 those are the practical reasons we haven't even talked about emotionally um, how it matters. So maybe you can answer that question. Cause I know you're, you're, you've thought of it a lot and you're very spiritual in the way you think about art. This point, for me, I mean, I think whatever reason anyone gives for why art matters is is true. Mm-hmm. I've you know, spent a lot of time thinking about this idea of truth in the last mm-hmm. couple of years and mm-hmm. people who are advocating for relative truth. And I don't actually believe in that. I either believe that things are true or not true. And at this point in my life, I see art and life as, as kind of the same thing. I see, yeah, I okay. see art as you know super essential, and I describe works of art kind of in the same way now that I describe people. Like there mm-hmm. are certain people you just like the way they smell, <laughs> you know, you just yes. want to be near them, right? Mm-hmm. For reasons yeah, that are kind them. of yeah essential or primal. Yeah, um, yeah, and, that's very you know yeah, it's very physical. <laughs> yeah, it's in yeah, your body. Yeah. Yep. And, and I have a practice now of, of asking myself how things feel when I hear from someone or the words that someone's using, or instead of yeah. just responding intellectually, you know, like, mm-hmm. how does it make me feel and where does it hit, yeah. you know, in my body? Um, so for me, art matters because it's taught me how to live. Yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful answer. Um, I'm just thinking about one. Uh, architectural feature that I did 
um, that you can't see, but you can smell, which is mm. at, at the entrance, because I wanted somebody to enter the space and, and already know that they're about to have a different experience, um, that I uh, have, I made a scent uh, for the space. And uh, we, we were talking a lot about what, what scents would go into the space. And one of the um, one of the smells that we used were a few Japanese woods, uh, a hiba and a hinoki, and um, I I actually really loved those scents. But I later was told by um, by Haley, who I worked with, that uh, they were used in sacred architecture. And um, I, I, I really love that. And of course, there's also lavender in, uh, in the scent because it's kind of my, it, it's a scent that I'm very attracted to. So when somebody enters the building, especially post-COVID, when a lot of people lost their smell during COVID, um, I kind of uh, subvert you or hit you with, um, with this, this scent that is uh, a very personal one. I loved that. And I, I noticed when I was there and I actually forgot that you did that. And mm -hmm. um, I'm super inspired by that yeah. idea. Yeah. It's supposed super to be very subtle. Yeah. I, I want it to be very subtle. It's almost like this small shift that, that happens. Um, and, and I think that um, art does that. It, 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 it just makes these adjustments. Um, in, in the way we, we move through the world. Yes. Yes. That's right. And how incredibly fortunate are we? And yeah. therein lies the responsibility for, I take it as a personal responsibility. And I think you, you probably do to, you know, to expose as many people to it as possible because of that knowledge of, of knowing, you know, what it is and what it can do. Yeah. It's so, so true. We are um, both very kind of ambitious in um, being uh, alternative and very grateful for being allowed to practice, um, practice with the artists in, in it. I love being your friend. Thank you for I coming on my podcast. I love being yours, Heidi. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so excited that you are now on a, on a new, um, new architectural project. And I want to hear about, because you, you said at the beginning, um, uh, a red clay uh, ceramic skin. What does that mean? I'm so it's actually Yes, it's actually a, um, it's a white terracotta. And mm -hmm. so it's the uh, morphosis designed skin of the new Orange County Museum of Art. And it's these ah. large organic sculpted white terracotta panels mm. and um, that form the screen of, of the new Orange County Museum of Art. And so they're wow. like a, a rain skin or rain screen, which is the skin. And yeah, I drove up to, to see them today. And, oh, and the, um, are, they, yeah, are they beautiful? They're so beautiful. I mean, like so beautiful and they're so strong. Right, because yeah. architects have been making buildings out of you know terracotta for oh hundreds of years. Yeah, and well, thousands I mean, of if years. you think you know, if you think about it, a brick is um, 
a brick is a, is ceramic. It, there, it's yeah. our building block. Absolutely. You you just it sounds like you're using a much more refined version um, yes. of it, and so that's that's what's going to um, make it really that that'll be exciting. Is it um, smooth? It's ribbed. And um, mm-hmm. I, I put some pictures of it on my on my Instagram today. Oh, good. And, okay. You know, we okay. had, um, yeah, we had one sample of it in our office, but they're manufactured in actually Buffalo, New York, and they got shipped out to California. And they're the apparatus for adhering them to the building is incredibly well thought out and engineered. And and that's oh, what yes. we're looking at today. I'm looking. Oh my gosh! And you have white nails. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I wanted to show like the, the trueness of, of the white. So yeah, that's why I put my, my hand on top. You put your porcelain. Well, you, 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 you put it on your nose. <laughs> See for, for me, I, I can't wear any nail polish on, on my nails anymore. Cause I always feel like I'm wearing something and it makes me feel uncomfortable now. Um, and, and so I love seeing nail polish on, on your nails. That makes me happy. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so nice to talk to you. You enjoy, too, Heidi. Enjoy your long weekends. Hi I to know. Your family. I know. Boy. You, you too. I'll talk to you soon. Thank okay. you so much for inviting me. Bye-bye. Of course. Bye. Conversations About Art is part of Art. This episode was produced by Simonilla. Our theme music was composed by Eric McDougall. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review us on whichever platform you listened as it helps us further our goal of connecting all to art. We will be back again every other Tuesday with new episodes. Thanks so much for listening.